This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 46. This is Writing Excuses, the unsexy side of space, with Bart Smith and Ben Hewitt. Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And joining us, we have NASA employees extraordinaire, Bart Smith and Ben Hewitt. Bart, would you introduce yourself for us? Sure. I'm Bart Smith. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me today. Um, I've been with NASA for almost 10 years. I'm a budget analyst, and so I uh, help with with numbers and and funding and financing and all sorts of fun stuff just to make sure that we can uh, keep the program going. My name is Benjamin Hewitt, and I've been with uh, NASA for about 28 days longer than Bart, which means I know more than he does. <laughs> and um, I started in the same organization in the chief financial officer's office. That's redundant, I know. And um, I now work in flight ops in their business office. Okay. Which is really exciting. So for for me, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you guys on is that every, when, when we're talking about space, everybody thinks about the astronauts and the people who are and the, the rocket scientists. But NASA is supported by a huge organization, and a big part of it is dealing with with money and the logistics of of making things happen. So why don't we start off by having you guys tell us a little bit about what it is you do, which is the unsexy side of space, but the absolutely necessary side of space. Sure, um, I'll start. So, um, as I as uh, as I mentioned, I do budget, and so um, we just make sure we work with a lot of our uh, technical counterparts, our scientists, our engineers, and, and yes, even the astronauts, uh, to make sure that uh, we're funding our operations appropriately. Um, some of those operations are exciting, right? Our rocket ships and science experiments, and then some of them are not so exciting. Um, we got to make sure that the bathrooms work and that the uh, the roads are are good and that we pay for security at the front gate. And so um, my specific role is to just work um, at Johnson Space Center to make sure that all of our funding sources are um, going to the right places and making sure that we're spending dollars appropriately. And so um, if we spend them appropriately, then the mission goes forward. If we're not spending them appropriately, then we're doing something wrong. And so my main role is to ensure that we're not doing anything wrong. So Ben has said that you do things wrong frequently. So Ben, what does he <laughs> <laughs> So there is an inherent conflict, uh, obviously, between um, the technical side of the house, um, who wants the best of everything. Um, we call that gold plating. And the budget and procurement side of the house, whose job it is to keep um, those people in check so that we have affordable programs. And, and how well, you know, the you know, the procurement side of the house actually does that. You know, you hear jokes about that frequently and the cost of a hammer. Um, so uh, case in point, you know, we've been working on a procurement where um, wh- where we're, try- we're trying to get stuff done and the procurement guys or the budget guys are coming in and saying, well, well, you should try this contract mechanism. And, and I'm in the middle because I'm in the business office. And the technical guys are like, no, no, we know this contract. We can get it done. We can get it done fast. We like these people. And, and so that conflict is, is kind of where you get that uh, friendly, frenemy inter- interplay. I was talking with someone from uh, a different branch of NASA, who I will not name because they were <laughs> talking some smack. Um, <laughs> and they were talking about ordering business cards and that 
uh, that <laughs> just the process of ordering business cards was incredibly complicated because as a government agency, you have to have everything bid on. Um, is it is it that kind of thing, kind of all the way down the line? That so so one of my favorite contracts that we've just done is is a um, is a multi award, which basically means um, we've gone through, we found a, acceptable vendors in several different work category types, and and so rather than having like a two year long RF RFI RFP process. You can, you can stream that line uh, out a little bit. You are, you are from NASA and you've just used acronyms. Request for information, <laughs> request for proposal. Thank you. <laughs> and it's a method of, of getting bids back. Um, with the multi-award, because the vendors are pre-approved, um, we can turn around some of that stuff in, in three or four days. We had for our, um, our aircraft, for our guppy, we've, we have these shipping fixtures so that we can, you know, fly the crew, crew module to different areas of the United States where different pieces of work are being done. And they have these what's called a chain block, which is basically a tie-down for the crew module. And we were able to turn that, that around in just a couple of days um, and get, a, get you know heavy aluminum drilled to precision and, and get it done. So, so yes, procuring is difficult. There are mechanisms that we have, but um, that's actually the importance of having a good support staff and uh, um, having people that are tenacious enough to, to to talk to the technical team and say, no, no, you you really want to look at this particular procurement strategy because it it, it can save you money and and time. Right. And then you can spend that money someplace else. Right. And I think that's a great one of the greatest secrets of our organization um, is that we are there to actually help our technical people. Um, a lot of our technical folks look at us and say, oh, procurement and budget and legal, they're all impediments to me getting my job done. Um, but at the end of the day, if you do have that great su- support staff, uh, folks are trying to to help our technical folks get the job done, then they can. Uh, then we can. Then we can get it done very quickly. Um, our goal is our goal is to help them get the job done as as quickly and as painlessly as possible while following those regulations. The way the way budgeting was described to me is that uh, the inconvenience of not immediately being able to buy something today is the price you pay for being able to buy things at all a year from now. Agreed, agreed. Because there's so many um, processes in place to track where all of those dollars go. Because every dollar that we spend is, is taxpayer dollars. Um, and so it's important that we're accountable, not only to our technical management, but also to the, the taxpayers who fund us. If we aren't good stewards of our funds, then we'll see those drop in the future. And, and this episode, uh, did getting us to NASA to record things involved some due diligence and making sure that tax money was not being spent on things that it shouldn't be spent on. Precisely. To, to be clear, that we, we did fund ourselves coming here, but tax money is being spent to give us a tour and to provide the facility. But, and, but that's the same we would do for schools exactly. and visitors yeah. and Justin Bieber and One Direction <laughs> and all the other people who, yeah, who have – we, who are stakeholders, who are They cover tax- their hotel and their meals, and you take care of them while they are on the campus. Because, that, because that's good for space and science if um, people from the community are involved and participating. So I am curious about – this is one of my favorite questions to ask people when, when they have an area of expertise that I do not uh, because it's, it's very useful as a writer. What are the things that make you want to flip the table? When you, you know, see them depicted in media, wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and they both ben, ben asked me this question a few, a, a few weeks ago. 
And um, I sent, it actually took me a week to write this email because I wanted to get it right. Um, because there, there are some things that are challenging that, yeah. that maybe aren't realistic. Um, maybe things that the popular culture believes that, that aren't necessarily true. I think the biggest thing is that, um, yes, as a support organization, we are trying to move the mission forward. That we aren't just impediments, but we are, we are here to, to help as well. Um, you, you can actually say the part about, well. <laughs> I, I, I keep waiting for something where yeah. my table is being thrown. <laughs> Throw my table, Bart. Um, so so one, of my, one of my biggest things is that NASA, as a government organization, is just really inefficient, right? Like, NASA can't get anything done. Um, I, I read a book n- several months ago that, that actually made light of this, where um, an artifact came out of space and... Um, some some private citizens wanted to investigate it, and so NASA um, commissioned a study to do a study, to review a study, to to review some proposals, to think about visiting or you know procuring some engines to visit this this artifact, right? And it was yes, it was very funny, and I I, I did chuckle, but a little part of me was a little bit frustrated because it does feel like sometimes um, the public um, and sometimes authors view NASA as inefficient and um, other organizations out there can maybe do it better. And as a part of NASA, I feel like we do things Realistically, if there's an artifact from aliens that is in space and the procurement office knows about it, all of the little hurdles involved in getting your business cards printed are just going to go away (laughs) until you've got the artifact. You wouldn't believe how fast you can get a procurement through if the center director or the... um, or the head of NASA wants it done. Right. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, let's break a moment for our book of the week. Dan, do you have that for us? I do have that. So one of the things that I've been thinking, because we just went through a, a tour of NASA and we saw all these things, and uh, it all these rem- really cool space uh, things. Just amazing things. <laughs> that we, that we passed a door that we didn't even get to go in that said wearable robotics laboratory. And I'm like, that's the greatest door I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. But anyway, um, at every point in, in the tour, I was reminded that NASA is a group of people using science to solve problems and working together, which is what I loved so much about the Apollo 13 movie. It's what I love about Star Trek, and it's what I love about The Martian by Andy Ware. Uh, that, that is a group of people using coming together to solve a problem with science. And uh, 
So and, yeah. yeah, and you've ta- you've talked, you know, the the name of the episode, the unsexy side of space. That's something that that I really enjoyed about the Martian, and I, I think a lot of a lot of people in the industry did because. You know, he doesn't just talk about Mark Watney. And then there's a part in the book where I'm, you know, I'm starting to get bored with the whole potato farmer thing. And he switches. He must have had a good editor or something. He switches to talking about what's going on back at the Johnson Space Center. And and you get this, you get this sense. Here are all these people involved. Legal is involved. HR is involved. Public affairs is involved. There's a lady who's looking at the, at, at the satellite images that's involved. And um, and not only is it just NASA at the Johnson Space Center, but they pull in they pull in real characters, real people with real. Uh, they they feel like oh, this is a person I know. In fact, the joke was for a long time. Hey, did did he talk to you before he wrote this book? <laughs> <laughs> who who does this character look like to you? And and hands down, there are a number of characters in that book where people would identify somebody currently in the in in a role, and and. And that's what I liked about that book is he's 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 done due diligence to the unsexy side of space. He's talked about um, people in a way that that makes them come alive. Right. And you see the full picture. I think that's the the brilliance of it is you see the full picture. It's not just a a, a one or two dimensional book, but but you see the you see from beginning to end how the how everything has to work together um, to, and, and, to bring it, Mark Watney home. And it and, and it, it it doesn't it talks about you know the the length of time for procuring a mm-hmm. rocket right. You can't just go and build a rocket. So he talks about well, they you know they get one from the Chinese, and that doesn't work out. And then and then the astronauts themselves come up with a solution to solve the problem. But it's it's a very um, very lucid in terms of how things a- actually operate. I've said before that uh, the Martian, and I'm standing by this stake I've pounded into the ground. Martian is the finest hard science fiction novel ever written because it does great hard science fiction. In a way that I, I am willing to sit and listen to, and read about how to make oxygen out of hydrazine, <laughs> and and I care and not and, blow yourself up. And that is <laughs> and that was that was amazing to me. Um, I, I I did want to say so Andy Weir was here um, and and did did a, a presentation and one of the most I got to ask him a question right and and I asked him what you know what came first the the characters or or the or the problems the technical problems and he kind of grinned and he was like oh the technical problems you know i and this is why it's the greatest according mm-hmm. to you um because he he figured out what can break here's the mission architecture here are all the pieces that i've put in place what can break now and i'm going to break and he knocked dominoes down in increasing order of disaster yeah. It, oh yeah and then yeah. and then he comes back as oh i need a character who can handle this you know, and then he fills in the character so that the character works with the technical breakages, and and that so I I like that book as well. It's, it's fun to read. As a, as a total side note, I have to say that uh, at a convention, I don't know which one. I assume San Diego Comic Con. Uh, Andy Ware was in the green room with uh, the two writers behind the Expanse series, and they are both fans of each other's work and decided that canonically they exist in the same universe. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. Right, there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing. I would read that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would so, read that book. Anyway, back so, to the episode. So, um, so while we're talking about the unsexy side of space, so there's a lot of stuff about procurement and things that that are going to be consistent from organization to organization. We're talking about space, though. Are there things about your jobs that you feel like are unique to NASA culture and NASA? 
situations um, to the fact that you are, you know, shooting people into space on on giant bombs? Um, I, I have. So we we did a procurement recently where um, you have to test for ammonia, for example, and 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 you so you have this device it's called a Draeger chipset, you know, measurement system, and basically what it does is it sniffs the air to see if there's ammonia or other chemicals present, and you can put a chip in it. And, and it'll come up with readings. So you can actually do training on the ground. Um, and, and we have that on station, right? And I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand this, but you, there are scenarios that come up that, that, that you wouldn't expect or that the little chips that have the ammonia in them don't, don't represent. And so what, what our technical community said was, hey, we want to train our astronauts on, on these different scenarios but they need to train on a unit that feels and looks and acts like a normal unit. And so one of the coolest things that we did is we basically paid a company to hack into the back of this thing, add, add a chip, and, and add a wireless interface so that, that our instructors can, can goof the system. So the astronaut gets, gets a reading that's like, oh, my gosh, all right, you know, face mask, everybody dive for the airlock. Kind of thing. It's not that dramatic. Can you but. take apart this piece of hardware and make it lie to the user via Bluetooth? <laughs> and, and then switch it back so that it's not lying, you know, halfway through wow. the process and it reverts to. And, and, but that's incredibly useful for somebody who's going to have the training here on Earth. And if they just, if they just do one or two, you know, run-throughs, it's, it's, it's not going to stick with them. And so what you want is you do the training here on Earth, and then six months later, they're up. And they're, they got to handle this thing, and it has to look and feel exactly like it did on Earth and behave um, in, in um, very functional ways. So what, is, Bart, what does a work day look like? Um, probably a little bit less exciting than you would think. Um, you get into I'm already <laughs> thinking it's very not exciting. So, so you might be right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, the, the the fact of the matter is we we don't come in and, and play with cool toys or or get to to mess around with the robots every day. Um, you know, you come in not and as you, a budget analyst, not as a budget. Maybe the robotics <laughs> do, but not as a budget analyst. Um, you, know, you come in, you 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 have a boss, so you ha- you have a set of tasks or a set of responsibilities that 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 you do, and you have your email that you check and that you respond to. You answer lots of questions. Um, and so a lot of what I view as my role is, is quite frankly, I do a lot of customer service, right? We get calls from engineers. We get calls from scientists who are like, I need to purchase this or I need to spend some, some money. Or I, you know, why am I $400,000 over this month? Correct. Oh, because, you know, all your people from last month billed this month and didn't bill last month. Right. So there's an element of, of you, just, you come in and, and you help people. And again, like I said, it's, it's about helping, helping the mission move forward. And the best way we can do that is to make sure that our technical folks aren't too bogged down in the minutia mm. of financial tracking and how to, how to purchase something. Um, and then when they do start to get bogged down in those areas, to make sure that we're there as a resource. So when your phone rings, it is procurement, I have a problem. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I should rename my office Houston, right? Yeah. Just, uh, to make, to make it work. Um, but yes, quite, quite frankly, it's, or I have a question. Sometimes it's, it's not quite to the problem stage. It's the, I'm about to do something. Help How do I avoid a problem? Create a problem. So, right. so early in my career when I was still working for the OCFO, um, and this is, this is, um, a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to share it because I like embarrassing myself. Um, but, 
I'd, I'd been on the job for probably six months, and I got put in the program office, which is a place you never put a rookie bu- budget analyst. But they were having trouble hiring people, and I was a sharp up-and-comer, you know, top of my class kind is of thing. Is that what they told you? That's <laughs> what they told me, Bart. So you just didn't, didn't back away when they, they asked for volunteers yeah, fast enough. Yeah, yeah, no. So I was in charge of looking over two budgets, both of about $25 million, and we had a program manager who— um, who was always giving away money. I was like, yeah, fund that research, fund that research, fund that research. And, and my boss was like, Ben, you got to hide some money from this guy. So, so we, <laughs> we um, cause, because something's going to break, and then he's not going to have the money to solve it. And so um, we did that very judiciously. And we get into a budget meeting, and it's, it's this program manager and all of his direct reports, right? And he's like, Ben, what's this line right here? And I was like, um, we use that to fund research, you know, and, and pretty soon, and he just kept digging on it. He kept, but, but what research? What are we doing that? And, and pretty soon all of his direct reports are just laughing because they know what's going on. They know that that's, that's his slush fund that he's supposed to hide from everybody else and, and keep in case there's an emergency. And um, he totally blew his own cover. <laughs> and my boss is kicking me under the table. He's like, you, you really and then afterwards he laughed. He's like, no, it's fine. He had that coming to him. But um, that's that's a little bit of a story of kind of the unsexy side of space. Yeah. See, it's, right. it's a heist novel now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But actually that, that, that circles back to something that, uh, that we were talking about when we were talking about uh, with, with the Martian about the, you know, lining up the dominoes and just knocking them down. Are there things that you can spot when you're doing budget analysis, uh, analysis or when you're doing procurement? Are there things that you can – problems that you can spot before they happen just be, by the way things line up? And Absolutely. So one of the biggest things we do is we as, – as Ben mentioned, we, we track things and, and people put a plan in and then we status to that plan. If you're blowing your budget, if you're 50 percent over budget, early on we can, we can of course flag our technical people and say – you're going to blow your budget if you don't slow down or if you don't um, find an additional funding source. Why, why are these costs coming in right now? Right. What, and, what, oh, we just, you know, we, we needed some extra support for X, Y, and Z. And, and then you can take that and say, well, okay, here's, here's the long-term ramification of, of um, taking that outside instead of handling it in-house. Because we, we, have, we have vendors, we have contractors that do work for us. In fact, NASA's 85% private sector and only 15% civil servant. Or you can take somebody that's already paid for, if they can do that work, then, then technically they're not sitting around. And so those are some things that, that BART would look at um, in, a, in a month-to-month um, budget analysis. Right. We also get policies from the government um, that come um, in and they say, hey, you have to conform to X, Y, and Z. Um, quite frankly, sometimes Congress passes these regulations and they don't uh, see the real-world impact. And so we take a lot of those and we... We, we translate into what that means. For, or or for the real-world impact isn't as important to them as, as um, the policy that they're enacting. Right, right. And so it's figuring out those um, as early as possible. Um, if you can figure those out before it's implemented, um, then that, of course, can save you a lot of pain. And, and these are and things that show up in, you know, for want of a better term, you know, a spreadsheet. You push the graph function and you can see very clearly, oh, you've, made yourself go faster, and now you don't have enough fuel to decelerate and land. And you explain just, it in a way that people— Yeah. yeah. Um, Ed, one, one thing, spotting issues, you know, um, 
so in the business office, one of my jobs is evaluating um, the responses that we get from uh, from bidders um, and kind of performing the translation from what the, the technical staff wants to, like I'm a words and communication guy, to what, you know, the budget analysts and the procurement people need. And um, when you have a skilled procurement official on your source board and you're getting these bids in, they will save you years of time. And I mm. and I have I've had experiences where we've maybe had a little bit less experienced um, procurement official who has 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 to go to someone higher than them to ask questions and to to kind of keep things moving. And and unfortunately, sometimes mistakes are made that that then cost a lot of a lot of time. And then you know you've got maybe have to slip the mission because this contract isn't awarded when it needs to be awarded. When you say slip the mission, just because it's jargon, I want to make sure that people know what it means. Um, so your schedule, in other words, we, we were going to fly this flight on, you know, in September. Now we have to fly it in December because we didn't get the, you know, the landing gear hinges that we needed. Well, and in some cases, when you slip the, you slip the window, you know, for things like the, uh, uh, the Juno uh, mission, your window doesn't happen again, doesn't open again for years right. because of the positions of things. Two, mm-hmm. 10, 15 years yeah. down the road, yeah. All right, I've got a, a different question for you. Um, actually, Ben and I, in college, we both worked on uh, the Leading Edge magazine. Very briefly, we were there together, uh, which was a small press science fiction magazine run by students that one of the reasons that that was such a valuable experience for me is because we didn't have any money. And so it taught us the business side of publishing in addition to the creative side. So I want to ask, is there a similar analog for you where the lack of resources or the inability to get exactly what you want actually improves your innovation or, your, or the creativity of, or of the Space Center? I think so. Absolutely. Um, we- NASA gets $19 billion a year, which sounds like a lot of money, but it's less than half of a percent of the federal budget. And so um, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not a lot. And so that's one of the functions I do is that we take these very limited resources and we work with our engineers and scientists to determine the best ways to spend those resources. Um, sometimes that means you invent this brand new technology to be able to accomplish something. Accomplish something. Sometimes it means you buy something right off the shelf and, and modify it. Um, and so... And, and, and don't pay, you know, don't pay $30,000 for an engineer to go design it if you've already yeah. got something that works. You know, it meets the minimum criteria Rather than, you know. The thing we saw in the virtual reality lab today, which is, well, we turned a laptop upside down, we strapped a pair of goggles to it, and then we wrote software that would let you do VR while wearing a ThinkPad on your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in space, so you didn't have to deal with the gravity gravity issues. Because that was the way they needed to solve VR when VR goggles were not a thing you could just get. One one other piece of innovation that that, um, my office has been a little bit involved in that's been interesting is is, um, what what unique capacity do we have where we we don't compete with with the private sector, but um, so we have a big pool, the Neutral Buoyancy Lab, and um, it, is, it is a unique facility. Well, is it used to 100% capacity? Well, yes, we use it efficiently. We're always training, but there are sections of that pool that aren't being used. And so we have had commercial partners come in and say, we will pay some of the rent for this facility 
Um, and and we will um, we'll give you money for that, and that makes NASA's dollars go farther because they're offsetting our costs. So on Tuesday mornings, there's water aerobics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will bring that up in our next right. staff meeting. We, I am I have done enough damage to NASA already. Um, we are we are out of time. Um, I hate to cut it short. Ben, do you have a writing prompt for us? Absolutely. Um, my writing prompt for you is write a story about when a budget analyst and a procurement intern actually help. <laughs> so a fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> this you has clearly been, weren't listening. This has been writing excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragon Steel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.